and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 323 of the podcast. I have a fantastic episode for you today. My guest is Tina Zaremba. Tina has a really interesting story, largely revolving um, in this interview around her experience fighting breast cancer. But we also touch on her journey to becoming a mother. Um, She lives in New York, and she's a voiceover actor, which is super fascinating. So we talk about that career having her son, and we talk about some of his um, learning disabilities and how virtual school has been going given those special needs, and uh, she just has so much compassion for other families that, that are struggling in that same way, and she's super proud of her son, which is so tremendous. Then we talk about her journey with breast cancer and the shock of being diagnosed when she's fairly young, and going at it with determination and now she seeks to really help other people to not feel so alone in that journey, to feel more prepared and to feel like they too can overcome that trial in their life. Tina is so awesome and I loved our conversation. So let's get to my conversation with Tina Zaremba. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Tina Zaremba today. Hi, Tina. Hey, happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. We were just connecting over our love of, of Michigan and Ann Arbor. I know. It gets a little cold, but yes. it is wonderful. It really, really is. And the falls there just can't be beat. Have you had any apple cider donuts or anything like that yet since you've been visiting? Oh, that is so <laughs> funny. That was like one of the first things we yes. had. Yes, I got so like a whole bag, I think. Oh, man. Oh, well, you live in New York now, which is also pretty dreamy to somebody that doesn't live in New York. Are you in the city or where do you live in New York? In Manhattan. Yep. And um, I mean, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It is kind of sad right now due to COVID. You know, so much is shut down, but it's a beautiful city. I love it. Yes. And I'm a New Yorker. Oh, can we talk about that? My husband and I were there not this past August, but the August before, so before all the shutdown and everything, and we just had the best time exploring. It's just so vibrant and lively, and yeah. and the shift and the stark contrast that was COVID had to just be, and still is, startling. Are things starting to get back? But I mean, with the theater still shut down, and I'm just sure it's still just not the same. Yeah, it's not quite a ghost town but it is um i mean there's still obviously people live there and there's the tourists aren't there though right Right. so that makes up so much of new york and then the theaters being shut down you don't realize how much of that energy from the arts plays into the energy of the city uh so kind of feels a little to me like a deflated balloon you know i feel bad saying that but yeah and you're an and you're an actor yourself, um, doing voiceovers and things like that. How has your yeah. job been affected, or has it been affected, or has it gotten better <laughs> since you've done you know work uh, remotely? Well, you know it's pivoted. So yeah, okay. I'm a voiceover actor, and so luckily for me, I'm able to work from just about anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- it's pivoted in that uh, I'm not doing. I did a lot of 
commercials, voicing commercials for cars, and mm. people aren't buying new cars the way that they once were. So I'm not doing as much as that, but a lot of um, my work now is e-learning. Oh. So a lot of people, you know, whether it's textbooks or companies that are creating um, some sort of training or learning for their employees. Mm-hmm. And then COVID spots as well. Wow. Oh. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's new. <laughs> and that yeah. is, you didn't see that one coming. How did yeah. you get into voiceover acting and, and why that over in-person acting? Well, because it uh, paid the bills. And <laughs> I, I was pursuing acting. That's why I came to New York a long, long time ago. I feel like I'm a little fixture there. And I was waiting tables more than anything else and had gotten into the corporate world. And honestly, it was a therapist that said to me, you know, you always loved acting. Why don't you get back into that? And I was like, oh, no, I need to grow up now and get an income. I can't continue to wait tables. And she said, well, I know these children's entertainers and you should meet them. I don't even know if I like kids. (laughs) At the time, I wasn't a mom. And I met them and though woman said to me, well, I make the bulk of my living from um, voiceovers. And for some reason, I just hooked on to that. She said her um, significant other was a commercial producer. I think they needed money for an international trip they were having, because the next thing I know, he's producing a demo for me that I really can't afford. Um, This was 20 years ago. And I'm sending my demo out in the mail. Now everything's done electronically Mm -hmm. to agents and then luckily got signed with one. And it took a long time. It wasn't like overnight I'm doing voiceovers full time. Mm -hmm. I supplemented my income for many years. But that's kind of how it happened. And it's really great because it's like acting on steroids. And I'm (laughs) so able to play and be in that world. Yeah. And especially now, I mean, actors are kind of stuck if they can't film in person and shows are shut down and yeah. obviously the live stuff is is really compromised in a lot of places not just in New York and so how fortunate that you've been able to pivot and while you're you know doing you know the copy that is much different than you were nine months ago at least you have a job that's great yes yeah and one that I love that's like wonderful. I really enjoy it so I feel grateful that's really amazing grateful. um have you ever like, what's the most memorable job that you've had? Or was it, like, the topic or, you know, what makes it memorable? <laughs> you know, it's uh, – what makes it memorable for me is obviously the topic as well as the people that I work for. So mm-hmm. I did a spot that I don't even think saw the light of day, meaning I don't think it was a national commercial for Tide and um, the laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. The team that I worked with really – saw me as a partner and had me doing improvisation and you know just trying things out and it just I'll never this was a while ago probably six years ago but it was such a collaborative experience it was awesome um I did a spot for several spots for a nonprofit called puppies behind bars about prisoners that are um working with puppies and dogs basically and they're becoming uh, you know either emotional support animals or service animals and it was so beautiful to voice that i worked with a team of women on uh it was a spot commercial for meningitis b and awareness around that but just working with an all-female group 
was really empowering and cool too. That's so really yeah, neat. it's more the people. Yeah, and it just it, it goes beyond just the job. It's about these causes you weren't you know already familiar with and feeling like you're really con- contributing to that yeah. cause, especially when when the root of it is is so good. I've never even heard of puppies behind bars, but what a neat what a neat thing that is. That's awesome. Hey everybody, I know you're loving Tina, but I wanted to jump in and thank a show sponsor, and that is World Vision. You've probably heard of World Vision, but you may not be familiar with all the things that they're involved with. Specifically today, I want to focus on sponsoring a child. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child and their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you're providing them hope. They're recognizing that somebody believes in them. And that is so huge. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty. And these kids are at greater risk for hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. And I can't think of a better place to put your money this holiday season than World Vision. There's a video that they produced called Chosen, and I'm going to link to it, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, and it shows the power of World Vision's work. Something really cool that they're doing for the first time is that World Vision's inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship, but instead of you choosing them, the child chooses you, and that's something no NGO has ever done before. How cool is that? Thousands of kids are waiting to be sponsored, and it is so neat to have you among the people that they can choose to sponsor them, to believe in them. So put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you by visiting worldvision.org EEP and sponsor a child now. Thanks so much to World Vision for sponsoring the show. And please do take a moment to watch that chosen video put out by World Vision linked on our podcast page. In addition to being a New York voiceover actor, you're also a wife and a mother. Tell, yeah, tell, gosh, me, about, tell me about your family. So my husband is a lawyer as well. You mentioned your husband's yeah. a lawyer. He is a public defender for the Ooh. Legal Aid Society. Uh, so plenty of interesting stories there. And he's fighting the good fight, if you will. And my son is 10 years old and goes to um, a school for children who have language-based uh, learning disabilities. He's dyslexic mm. in New York City, um, although right now everything's remote. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's good. We've had um, our challenges, as you know, and we'll get to, but mm. uh, overall, um, we're a tight little group. That's amazing. <laughs> and so how has school been working out with a child that, that does struggle with um, mm-hmm. a learning disability? That has to be an added layer of, of difficulty because I know for all kids, having this different format of learning from home has its really significant challenges. But additionally, for really the whole family in addressing the education, yeah. the social components, the extra services they receive – especially if you're going to a special school for this, how has learning been different this year and and how is he doing? Thank you for asking. He's doing, he's doing, I have to say really well. His school is amazing. There's only about eight kids in his classroom. The teachers, God, I have never had, I don't know about you, but I have so much respect for 
teachers, like, I mean, obviously, um, doctors and nurses right now, they are, and always are our heroes, but teachers, they are amazing. There's no way I could do their job. Um, that said, it still is challenging because it, you know, he's online and the screen time is not the same as social interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's balancing too, because I don't want, he only gets so much screen time of like doing video games or whatnot. So I don't want to take away and kind of punish him because he's having to do online learning, Mm -hmm. but I definitely have to navigate that. It's great that we're currently in Michigan because he can go outside here Mm -hmm. and run around versus in New York. It's a little different. You know, we need to, we don't have a backyard. Um, and we do have a garden, but it's, it's just different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've covered the topic of dyslexia a couple times now with some professionals that are really passionate about getting more awareness around it and, and better testing and more just like talking about it because so many kids go undiagnosed for so long and they attribute certain behavioral or learning challenges to other things. But really the root cause is dyslexia. And if that were addressed, a lot of these other things could get fixed. So how, if you don't mind going into that, how did you first realize that your son was dyslexic and, and what did that path look like for you personally? We, you know, had an inkling that Mm -hmm. he may be dyslexic because it's inherited. And my husband is dyslexic as well. We just didn't know we would see it so early when he was in kindergarten. He went to a private school and, uh, pardon me, first grade. And they were really pushing, you know, advanced reading. And Jack was struggling, struggling, struggling. And he couldn't, obviously, in first grade, fully tell what was going on until we had him professionally tested. In a lot of ways, I'm grateful for that experience with that school because had they not been pushing the reading so much, I don't know if we would have detected it that early and been able to pull him from that because it was really, oh my gosh, Jessica, it was a challenge yeah. looking at your kid who's being bullied who because he was having, because it, it wasn't so much the swapping of the letters. I mean, it was, it was just a hot mess as to mm. trying to decipher what was going on because he also had a little bit of speech issues and some... Um, uh, emotional regulation mm-hmm. issues that were going on as well. Uh, and anxiety was percolating, obviously, within him because he wasn't able to keep up with his peers. We have this stupid way, in my opinion, in schools where it's like you're in the red reading group, the yellow reading group, and the blue. And even though um, maybe some of the schools out there will say, oh, no, it's not meant to look like one is higher than the other, the kids know. The it. kids know. They're, right. Yeah. They're reading chapter books, and this group is only reading you know a few sentences and at one point my son was the only one in the lowest group and I was like oh my god heartbreaking yeah that was tough but um like I said we had him tested and um that was quite extensive and quite expensive as well um and then we were able to being in New York City there are options for schools that are available to children who may not fit the normal streamlined public school education and um take advantage of that so it ended up working out yeah how fortunate and it just really makes you aware of the families that are limited by whether it's you know being present enough in their child's educational journey to recognize these issues and not just like go with 
the the flow of like oh yeah he's just the naughty kid or he's or he's just the shy one that's getting bullied or whatever it is but to dig a little bit deeper and then of course there's the financial aspect like you said a lot of families don't have these resources but their kids need this help it is Uh, devastating to think of these kids sliding backwards when really just some additional support and a diagnosis could be everything to their success it's heartbreaking. It so is. we in New York City, you can actually sue the Department of Education for not having the resources for mm. your child. If your child has an IEP and they meet certain, you know, yeah. criteria. We live in Harlem. So we went to the school that we're zoned for and looked at it. You know, you have to go and you have to look at the school and talk and then you have to um explain to the Department of Ed as to why you feel that school is not a good fit. And I saw the classroom that Jack would be in, which was just kind of a hodgepodge of a variety of learning disabilities in that classroom. And I felt, you know, things I went in thinking, oh, this is going to be awful. And these, you know, teachers are going to be awful, blah, blah, blah. I felt so much for the teachers. I could see the genuine care that this educator had Mm -hmm. for these students that my son, if he went to that school, he would be in that classroom. But the lack of resources, the fact that the class, while it was smaller than some of the other classes, which I think had 30 kids, still when you have kids that have behavioral issues and acting out, and they're all, maybe some are on the spectrum, maybe some have dyslexia, they're all in there. I don't know how. I left there in tears. I was just like, this is so sad. Right. It is. It is. It is. And as great as a teacher can be, I was, I, I'm a former elementary school teacher myself, Tina. And I mean, even the very best teachers trying to differentiate to the needs of all these different kids, yeah. it is physically impossible. And so teachers are doing their absolute best. And I can't agree more that this year, especially they are learning a whole new way, uh, yeah. you know, doing a job that they literally weren't hired for (laughs) they were not hired you know and this it requires a whole different skill set than in-person teaching but bless these teachers and we just have to do all we can to support to support them individually if if they're in our sphere but even more so like if we're privileged enough to be in a a safe you know uh provided for education for our kids like what else can we do to help those kids that that are falling through the cracks because it's sad. It's sad. And we kind of see the fruits of that as, as they grow into adulthood. And we have a whole myriad of issues with, with people that are not properly educated. Yeah, my hope is that, you know, if there's a silver lining from everything that's going on right now, that there's a greater awareness that we um, as human beings develop around our fellow citizens and, and, and children mm-hmm. that they, even if it's not my child, they deserve just as much support and opportunity as the next person. That's right. That's absolutely right. Couldn't have said it better, Tina. That is fantastic. Well, best of luck to Jack continuing on this Thank year. You. I have I have a son named Jackson, so <laughs> that's uh, awesome. I yeah. love I love the name. Hey everyone, I wanted to check in again and thank another show sponsor, and that is Acorn TV. AMC Network's Acorn TV is a subscription streaming service that offers world-class mysteries, dramas, comedies, and documentaries, all commercial-free. And Acorn TV is home to sophisticated and artful storytelling rooted in British television. So if British TV is your jam, you are going to want to check out Acorn TV. 
TV. With Acorn TV, you get access to premium, commercial-free, international content for an unbeatable price of just $5.99 a month. They work on all your favorite devices. You just download the app or watch online via Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. You'll never run out of content because Acorn TV literally has new releases every Monday. There's thousands of exclusive originals and deep cuts you won't find anywhere else. Trust me, this is your place for British viewing pleasure. They have tons of ways to search for brand new shows that aren't on your radar. And if you're like me, I'm kind of out of things to watch on my other streaming services. So I'm so glad to have these new ideas to watch. There's specifically a show called A Place to Call Home, and it has a mystery element to it. There's secrets, passion, romance, intrigue, and six seasons. So I cannot wait to continue binging A Place to Call Home. So escape to Britain and beyond without even leaving your own seat. Try Acorn TV for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use your promo code EMP. That's A-C-O-R-N dot T-V, code EMP, to get your first 30 days for free. You literally have nothing to lose, and I'd love to hear what you are binge-watching next. I'm always in need of new recommendations. Thanks, Acorn TV, for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to it with Tina. Well, another part of your story that we want to cover and spend the rest of our time on is your breast cancer journey. And Mm -hmm. tell me, when were you diagnosed with breast cancer? I was diagnosed June 2019. 2019. So this is very, very recent. And how were you diagnosed? A lot of people get diagnosed by mistake. Some people, you know, are going in for their, you know, mammogram because they see a sign on the wall. Some people have it in their family and, and some people just would never suspect it for themselves. And so they put it off, put it off, put it off. What was your story? So I was doing my annual mammograms, uh, being right on top of it. I, I you knew that I had dense breasts and actually had a clip put in my left breast to monitor, um, a benign kind of, um, tumor. And, um, in February, my, of 2019, my OB found a lump and I went and had it checked and they said it was a cyst. And then end of May, I woke up in the middle of the night feeling this electrical pulse through my right breast. Hmm. And I put my hand, I'm not really a religious person, but more of a spiritual, I guess, put my hand over my breast and just said a prayer. Mm. And you think, oh, the next day you're going to go right in and get it checked out. But I didn't. And then I remember being on the subway with my son, dropping him off at school at the end of the school year and seeing a sign on the subway saying, did you get your mammogram? (laughs) And thinking, oh, I got a I have to have that cyst looked at because they did say if it got uncomfortable, I could have it drained. And it felt like it was getting bigger. And then school ended and shortly thereafter, and he did a coding camp and I walked him to the little coding camp and there was an old uh, phone booth that had a sign that said, did you get your mammogram? I was like, I have to do that. Mm. And so I walked into the place where I had gone for the mammogram and they had a cancellation and wow. I would just look going, oh my gosh, if there's a divine hand sign. here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they, um, I said, I need to get the cyst drained, and the radiologist said, there's no cyst anymore, but there's something else there, and you can't leave until we do a needle biopsy, and his face was so white, and they just became the nurse and the doctor, these 
mechanical like robots doing everything very quickly and it was I just knew mm. immediately what was that this wasn't good wow. so that's how it happened for me and how old were you in 2019 I've said so many different ages that I am <laughs> <laughs> I'm being I know it all blends together it all blends together I was um 47 okay. 47 okay. yeah so I read a stat that 11% of breast cancer diagnoses come to women under the age of 45. And so you're barely over that number. And you right. think young, vibrant, otherwise healthy. I mean, were you otherwise healthy aside oh, from yeah. you know, hiding tracked for that cyst? Uh-huh. I was doing CrossFit, wow. not eating sugar, not really drinking. I was very healthy. Wow. Yeah. So it definitely was. And, you know, what scared me more was and they kept saying it's early stage breast cancer, early stage breast cancer. So I really didn't say much to my son. The plan was um, I could have had just the right breast removed, but I said I wanted to have a double mastectomy. I wanted both my breasts removed, and that was just my choice. I felt I had heard too many stories of women who later on they get the mammogram just of the one breast, mm-hmm. and something suspicious would pop up, and yeah. then they'd end up getting that breast removed. And I. I knew myself with my anxiety level that I could not handle that. So I asked that I have a double mastectomy and then I was just going to go on hormonal therapy. So I said to my son, mommy's going to have a surgery to take something bad out of her body. And then I'm going to have to rest for a while and everything will be, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. And the plan was to go on hormonal therapy medication Mm -hmm. after that surgery. But what had happened was one of my lymph nodes lit up. So that changed the whole whole course there yeah 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 so what so did you have the double mastectomy first yes and then okay and how was that recovery um it was a it was it was intense but it was more um you know my friends were like I can't believe you just had a double mastectomy and you're out and about hmm. uh I mean I looked like a, a cow with these um <laughs> Uh, drains on either side you know and like I said I hadn't told my son what um too much about it I didn't use the c word Mm -hmm. I didn't say it was cancer or anything uh because I knew that would freak him out and I really didn't know how to talk to him about it but when they did the surgery and they found when they that one of my lymph nodes was lit up that meant chemo was now on the table so my son, you know, it's interesting. I was freaking out inside about the chemo because that terrified me more than the cancer for some reason. Mm-hmm. And my son was literally freaking out over the littlest things. But I think kids, Jessica, really can sense like animals, you know, they sense when something is off. Mm-hmm. And plus, I mean, I looked like something was off right and he just kept having these meltdowns after meltdowns over little things and so finally later that day um I wasn't planning on telling him but I just walked in and said to him Jack I know you're really scared I'm really scared but we have to work together and mommy's going to take some medicine to make sure that the bad stuff never comes back but it's also going to make her hair fall out and then he just knew you know mm-hmm. cancer you have cancer and he locked himself in the closet and it was intense for a, a while there yeah right and I mean 
it's it's a unique thing going through something like this as a mother because not only are you trying to handle your own emotions and process yeah. it yourself and grieve yourself and have your own feelings and whatnot and just logistics but then you bring your kids or your child into this as well and you're trying to help them to process and manage and not be scared when it's legitimately a scary thing. It's a new thing. Even if you yeah. know, even if your prognosis is good and we just have to get through this season, right? It's still right. change is hard. Change is really hard. And when there's the physical changes, I think it rocks our kids even more because it just is more evident of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. He did not like seeing me without, you know, he was, I, I could not do wigs, even though I got every type of wig you can imagine. They were just so itchy and I felt like I was playing dress up. But mm. so he insisted I always, you know, wear a hat in front of him. And I get it um, because mm. I had long blonde hair before mm. all of that. Yeah. So going through this now, what can we do to help our kids or what resources need to be out there for the families that are right. going through cancer journeys or, you know, any type of, of medical struggle to help them to feel a part of it, to feel a little bit more powerful and in control, even while, you know, they're, they're grieving this time. You know, they're just, in my mind, I do not find enough out there for children that have, look, if one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer mm -hmm. and the median age is around, you know, well, there are more and more women in their 30s and 40s and you figure a lot of, some of those women are going to be mothers. Yeah. I did not find any resources that were appropriate for a, a mother in my shoes that I early stage breast cancer going through chemotherapy it's traumatic but it's not terminal mm -hmm. so and i'm in new york city right uh, right i've called the only resource i found was gilda's club and that was again the kids were all lumped together so you could have a child whose parent has stage four pancreatic cancer and then me who was stage two early stage breast cancer mm -hmm. uh, and knowing my son and his temperament and his anxiety I just did not feel that was an appropriate place to be mm -hmm. so I feel there needs to be more resources such as art therapists who can work with children who um, have a parent who's early stage cancer. I mean, it's just unfortunate, but it's so common. I will say, uh, you know, Slim Kettering, where I was being treated, well, they had wonderful resources for me, not a lot for the kids. The therapist that I worked with there said to me, when I said, you know, how do I tell my son? It was a good thing we had this conversation yeah. before he had to freak out because I shared it with him that night. And it's this, cancer is like fruit. It really doesn't mean anything until you talk about the different types of fruit. There's a watermelon, you know, type cancer, and there's grapes type cancer. And mommy has a grape type cancer. It's small and the doctors are going to take care of it. And that for him kind of put, you know, an image to his head so he could kind of understand and grasp what was going on. We did work together as I made 
as a family going through this because honestly it is the family that's going through this so one thing that we did for um when i was going through chemo is do you remember um i don't know if you celebrate christmas or not do you I do um, i do yeah you know I mean? okay so on some people who have christmas trees they did this a lot in the I wasn't around in the 60s, but I I know that my mom told me they did this paper um, or uh, paper rings. You know, sometimes you do it in art projects when you're a little kid. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. So what we did is we, I had eight treatments. So we had eight pieces of paper and we um, wrote affirming words. So my husband wrote something that was affirming and I wrote something that was affirming and then my son did and he colored it and we made a chain mm-hmm. with those paper those paper rings mm-hmm. and after every chemotherapy treatment my son would take off one of the rings mm-hmm. and it was like he was i didn't some i met some women who brought their kids with them to the chemo treatment for me i didn't uh want to do that because i wasn't sure how my body right would respond and i didn't want him to be in a you know in an intense situation right but that was one thing that we did that was really cool i'm trying to think of something else that we did oh when i got my i'll have to send you one of the photos i I tried every type of like hat and turban that was out there Uh so i had him modeling them with me and we would take photos and that was fun too so i do think it's important to incorporate them as best you can right right and also we talk a lot about the importance of modeling you know, healthy behavior for our kids and helping our kids to realize life is not going to go seamlessly. Like mom and dad's life is, does not go perfect. We have our challenges too. And by hiding those things from our kids and not showing them how we process them, we're really putting them at a disadvantage to know how to process that those things themselves when they come up, usually in a smaller scale in their young life, but definitely they progress as they get older. And so I think as, as much as we want to teach them, you know, those fundamental, you know, character traits and things that are so easy to, to model and talk about. We also need to show them like, hey, mom has cancer. Mom's really sad about this. Mom's scared. And you're probably right. scared too. Like, what can we do to help us, you know, feel feel scared for a minute and then feel a little better? Like, what can come next after that, right? We yeah. can make a paper chain. Won't that be fun to tear it off? And what should we write on there? Oh, that's a great idea. And like helping them to participate and so helping them to problem solve through challenges I had just had somebody on who has cystic fibrosis and she said you know her parents really taught her how to problem solve through challenges and they really didn't focus a whole lot on the negative of things and they weren't trying to whitewash the really hard situations which obviously cystic fibrosis is but they were just trying to show her you can get through these hard things you can problem solve you have lots of tools and some days will be fun and easy and others not, but you can do it all, which is really awesome. Yeah. And also I want to add though, if anyone's listening, who's going through this and they feel like they don't have the strength, I did not, hmm. you, you automatically are doing that in little ways as a mom by yes. just doing like that simple act of the, um, you know, the paper chain that yeah. I did or solving or, or, or talking to Jack that he must be really scared but there were plenty of other days if I'm truthful where I was just like I can barely hold it together for myself let alone for my son and I had to be okay with that at times yeah I love that too because yeah there you can show 
I love the book The Four Agreements. Have you ever read oh, that? Yes. Yes. And, yes. and I love that your best fluctuates. Like the tenets yeah. always do your best should apply every single day. Knowing that your best looks different day to day. And going through chemo and coming out, you know, those first few days after a mastectomy and few weeks and even months, your best is going to look different. And showing your son that it's okay to have a day in bed, movie day. It's okay to have a tearful day. It's okay to have any of those days because sometimes that is what your best looks like. But it, it doesn't mean that it will always look or feel that way. Yeah, and I think that that's what's really, you know, um, at the, I did not have Jack come with me when I rang the bell because I mm. went through radiation as well, and that mm. was like the, the end of my um, active treatment. Yeah. Uh, but my sister came and she videotaped it, and I showed it to him, and he was just like, you did it, Mom, you did it, Mom. And I thought, how awesome for him to see, you know, granted it was a video, that we can do hard things. So now when things get hard, I always say like this personal pandemic prepared me for this global pandemic. I say to him, we can do hard things, Jack. Like, look what we went through last year and we're here. This is frustrating. You're not with your friends, but we can get through this. Yeah. And you've already done it. Like you actually have proof now to pull from and be like, remember that? Remember how you were scared before and how we're not scared of that cancer anymore. Right? Like, Yes. And I love so much that you were able to use your voiceover skills and talents for a different mission. And you created a podcast called Chemo Stories. What made you decide to document your journey in that way? And don't you just think that's so neat when our skills and talents can be used in a whole different way we never anticipated? But it it just shows you like the preparation that I think is so or- foreordained in each of us for whatever's coming next before we even know it. And I think that's true of this. Mm, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I uh, So Chemo Stories started out for me. You know, it was, yeah. it was my kind of audio journal, my way to get everything out of my brain and my body and just dump it all out. And then as I started um, seeing like, oh, I might – I might live. I might make it through this because I was just like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to die. Oh. This is one of the medications for chemo um, that I had is AC, and it's nicknamed the Red Devil. Oh, no. Uh, it's because it's this red medication, and it's um, creates it's pumped in you in your arm and then it creates a lot of heat inside and it's an intense medication or can be. And I remember when I heard that, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't have something in me. That's called the red devil. I'm not even going to make it through the first treatment. (laughs) What are you guys nuts? (laughs) Um, So like you said, chemo stories started off as, you know, just for me to get my stuff out. And then when I started to see, okay, I'm going to get, through this, maybe this would be a value to other women or um, family members who have someone that's going through this to kind of demystify the whole breast cancer journey. Yeah, I love that. So did you record them in real time then? Some of them I did, but I went back. The pandemic definitely gave me uh, time to go back and really, um, I guess, fine tune. And then I launched... um, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, yes. uh, October. Yes. So I launched them all, uh, all 15 episodes at one time so people could just listen to it all. Oh, I just think that is so neat. So it's everything from 
the story we kind of discussed right now, you know, yeah. get, getting diagnosed, what that was like. Um, when you're when you're fearful, you provide some practical tips about, you know, what to do before you start chemo, your mindset. And it really does break it down. And I can only imagine for somebody who was where you were in 2019, unsure, fearful, you've never walked this road, to f- stumble upon chemo stories and to have somebody provide, I don't know, just, just that friendship, really, of walking alongside you of what to expect. And you can do this. And I got through it. And you can do it, too. It's got to be so helpful and validating for somebody to find that. Have you heard from people who have found it? I have. And that's been really, really exciting to Aww. see that. Um it, it is inspiring and touching other lives that are out there that are going through this. And uh, I end every podcast episode with, my name is Tina Zaremba. I'm searching for strength, grace, and trust. Mm-hmm. And the last episode, I do say, I'm my name is Tina Zaremba. I am strength, grace, and trust. Mm-hmm. So you really get to go on the journey with me and to see that, that I start off with such fear and terror. And there's not, I mean, I'm, really raw uh Mm. in it and it talk about my you know my fears my worries and then coming out on the other side and recognizing the the unique power that we all hold within us that I think we often forget yeah it's always there within us we're just Mm -hmm. not really asked to tap into it that much like most of us have you know easy enough lives where we can kind of get by Right. With, yeah. with, with putting in kind of the status quo effort, but sometimes you got to dig deep and you just realize what was really there all along within you. And I'm so glad. How are you doing now, Tina? I'm doing fabulous. I'm yeah. really, I, I mean, I'm so grateful to be on the other side. So grateful to have some hair yeah. and, um, you know, it's still, I, I, Today, I'm doing fabulous, but yeah. I will say there are days where I'm like, what the heck did I go through? And yeah. actually, I don't even say the word heck. I use something <laughs> stronger, explicit. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, because it, it is a little bit like post-traumatic stress disorder as well, mm-hmm. where I found um, June of 2020, I was definitely a little shooken, if you will. I was like, I cannot believe what happened last year. It was just so surreal. But it does get better in talking with I found a a group of women who are further out than me and that's been quite um inspirational for me and so and supportive you know to have that support yeah yeah so for somebody listening you know whether it's breast cancer or whether it's just some other news that they've just gotten that was really unexpected and that can really have the potential to change the trajectory of their life, at least for the next little while. What would you tell that woman listening right now who's, who's feeling scared? Okay. Uh, just breathe. Take a moment and just breathe. And then let's chunk it down. Because for me, at the beginning, it became so overwhelming. And I'm a planner. And, you know, I was a former control freak. So... What can you do in this moment? And what do you know in this moment? Literally write that down. And to, if you can, get your network, your people around you. So I lined up. I knew I wanted female energy. 
and strong female energy. So I had lined up women to go with me to my treatments. Mm. Meals for my son and my uh, husband, because I knew I wouldn't be, although I'm not much of a cook anyway, um, wonderful mom friend actually ended up lining up all these meals uh, that were delivered to my home for the whole duration of my treatment, which was a godsend. Um, to really think about what are the main things that I might not be able to do that I would need help with. And it's uncomfortable, definitely. You know, a lot of women wear multiple hats and they, we can multitask and do many things, but to be able to ask for help Mm -hmm. uh, was uncomfortable, but it also gave me the grace and space to say, this is what I need. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and the more you're willing to accept that, you realize that, it's okay to ask for help, and I think it makes you a better future servant as well as you're looking out for the needs of others too. It just makes you so much more empathetic to, you know, what could somebody really need in this situation and just yeah. realizing you know, it might just seem like a meal, but it's not just the meal. It speaks way right. beyond the meal and the organization of the meals and things like that and helps you to step up more for other people and to realize service really is a two-way street and if you said no and turned down the help that was being offered it's really denying somebody else the privilege of getting to help out somebody that they love and want to support genuinely and I believe people wouldn't offer if they didn't want to do it and so I think we just need to say yes a lot more when people try to show up for us absolutely and also being okay with asking for help because I think in the beginning when I told people some people didn't even know what to do or how to act and you can get really uncomfortable when it comes to cancer I mean it's funny I joke when I had the flu no one was owning the flu but when you have cancer it's all of a sudden that becomes other people's Mm -hmm. cancer and they don't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes people do nothing so to be able to say this is how I could use help and to, to do it before you need it too, because I'm sure on those yes. sickest days where you're like, I'd give anything for someone to take Jack today. I would give anything for a meal tonight. Yeah. To try and predict a little bit ahead of time to prep, like you said, like rallying your troops beforehand, I'm sure was, was huge. Because when you're in the thick of it, you're not equipped to, to be reaching out, right? Or, or helping, right. helping other no, people to know how absolutely. to help you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. Tina, you're just... You're such a wonderful storyteller, and um, I just appreciate you sharing this journey so much. There's so much to your life story, and I'm so excited for you to have be in a good place right now. And just all the prayers and love for continued good health and. Mm. You know, we just it's it's all one day at a time. You know, we 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 all need to do a better job at not taking life for granted and I think an event like this can really just put you in your place and be like oh wow like life is really fragile and finite and you just never know what's around the corner and hopefully by even just hearing somebody else's story we don't need to wait until the bad news comes to our doorstep to realize you get to choose today to be present to be grateful to be proactive right? Absolutely. That is the gift right there. Every morning before my feet hit the ground, I am saying in my mind, thank you for another day on this planet. 
Thank you for the opportunity to see what miracles are going to be coming to me today, even if they don't necessarily look like miracles. Having this, you know, exchange with my son where I get to um, be with him and struggle sometimes with his homework because I don't know fractions. Thank you for that gift. <laughs> yeah. No, you are so right. Literally, my fifth grader is Jack in fifth grade. He's in fourth okay. grade. Okay. Okay. So I have a fifth grader as well. And we started with order of operations and it was just like so much more complex than the last time I remembered it. And I'm just like, is this what we're starting with? Like, holy moly. I think we've all felt like that this year. We've all been humbled by our own education. We thought we were smart, but who even knows? But uh, I just, I'm so grateful for people like you that, that want to use the hand they've been dealt to empower others, inspire others, and that's what you're doing. Will you tell everybody where they can follow you online? Yes. So you can follow me at chemostories.com. Um, Instagram is Tina Zaremba VO. And uh, Chemo Stories is available on all the podcast platforms too. So like iTunes, Spotify, whatnot. Yeah, perfect. Well, Tina, I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. Yeah. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? You got this. It all, you got this. Yeah. Yeah. I was an avid warrior and, you know, would always worry about everything and anything. And just to, you've got this and breathe. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I love that. Tina, thanks for taking the time this morning. Enjoy the fall weather of Michigan. I'm jealous. Eat another apple cider donut for me. Will you oh, think of me when you do okay. it? <laughs> Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You as well, Tina. Be well. I want to thank Tina for coming on the show today, for sharing her motherhood journey, her breast cancer journey, and I just wish her all the positive health vibes going forward, clean scans, and success for her son in school as well. If you want to find out any more about Tina or Chemo Stories, you can go to ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. I have it linked over there for you. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.